Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. Schmelk, Meadow, you at 201-939-4513. It's all presented by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience, courtesy of Coors Light. Text VIP to 90464 for more details. Lance, the Giants lose to the Vikings at home, 28-10. to I would say the game is probably a little bit closer than the score might indicate. The Giants had around 12 plays in the red zone in, in the second half and came away with only one field goal out of those two chances. So uh, I feel like they were knocking on the door a little bit more than the score might indicate, but a, a fairly comprehensive win by the Vikings. You know, obviously you can't tell everything by total yardage, but if you just look at the total yardage, 490 for Minnesota, 211 for the Giants. So... Really offensively, the Vikings moved the ball pretty much however they wanted over the course of the game. And as we talked about a lot last week with this matchup, and as we talked about, matchups and opponents matter in this league. Daniel Jones had his struggles with an excellent Vikings defense. Yeah, Vikings are just a fundamentally sound defense, John. We talked an awful lot about it. You're talking about a group that's been together for multiple seasons, and they showed why and they're coached well they play too, so well. Correct. Yeah. They, they were well-prepared, and they executed. I mean, very, that's also the key operating term here. A very astute head coach in Mike Zimmer. Yes, very astute. Correct, exactly. And we didn't know who was going to have the advantage because the two of them had been together on the same staff, Pat Shermer and Mike Zimmer. But uh, it played out clearly in favor of Mike Zimmer, at least in their first head-to-head matchup since they worked together in Minnesota. But, you know, you, I think, hit on a key point here, John. The Giants had opportunities in this game. Mm -hmm. Okay, the numbers certainly show a huge disparity. But the two red zone opportunities, you come through with those opportunities— I mean, we could sit here all day and play the coulda, woulda, shoulda game, but who knows? Who knows how momentum shifts? It's an 18-10 game, okay? The Giants get into the red zone, and the Vikings, they're doing everything in their power, John, to tell the Giants, take it. Please, a, a lot find of, a way to get in the end zone. A lot of penalties on the Vikings in this game. And, guys, folks, the Vikings had 12 penalties for 112 yeah. yards. So the Vikings had some mental lapses, some mishaps, and the Giants were knocking on the door. So you get in the red zone— you have to settle for a field goal. Uldrick Rosas makes the field goal from 28 yards, and then Linval Joseph, the former Giant, unnecessary roughness on a special teams play. So now they get a fresh set of downs, John. It's yeah. first and goal from the five. So now you have at least three more opportunities to punch it in, and here's where you start moving backwards versus forwards. And this is what has hurt the Giants, John, even in years past. This wasn't just an issue yesterday. How many times have we seen red zone opportunities, penalties, sacks given up? mental mistakes, high throws, that's what killed the Giants yesterday. Yeah. And, and there's a lot to unpack from that sequence. So let's kind of go through some of yeah. the big plays, and then we'll touch on a play in the first half. I think two was a missed opportunity for them to score uh, in that first, I think it was second quarter. But we'll go through that deal in the red zone here very quickly. They only ran the ball, Lance, three times in the red zone. And of those eight plays, I guess it would be Six, depending on how you want to count the field goal, six offensive plays in that's the fair. red zone. They only ran it once, and it was a Sterling Shepard in the round. So I think that's where the Wayne Gallman injury hurt them a little bit. Where And even, you know, maybe they wouldn't be able to run the ball with Gallman in the game either, so I can't speak to that. But the Vikings did a good job versus the run. But there are two huge plays here on, on a third and ten before the first attempted field goal, which they then got the unnecessary roughness penalty, got a new set of downs. Daniel Jones had Sterling Shepard wide open on a little slant in between the zone, and there was no pressure. He just threw it too high. Shepard made a spectacular catch jumping up to get the ball, but he just couldn't get his two feet down because he basically had to put his body sideways in order to catch the pass. Yeah. So that was just a, a miss by Jones. He told us after the game in the, on our post-game show on the radio, said, it was yeah. a miss. It happens. And then Jones makes a better throw. Shepard has a chance to help him on a contested catch on a one-on-one -on -one post play. I believe that was against Mike Hughes, if I remember right. He goes up, has position. Hughes does have his arms around him a little bit, but nothing egregious. The ball gets into Shepard's chest, and he can't hold on to it, on, which was a really tough contested catch, but a play he could have made. So those are two plays that could have been touchdowns on that drive. And then I'll go back to the first half, Lance. They had a chance in the second quarter. Sterling Shepard runs this nasty double move, kills Trey Waynes, wide open, running down the right sidelines. And Jones just overthrows him by a few yards. Yeah, and just out of his reach. Yeah, I would probably say about six inches to a foot. And a few yards is too strong. He probably overthrew him by about six inches or a foot. 
But he was wide open, and I mean wide open, Lance. You would not find many people more open than that, and Jones just missed the throw. It happens sometimes. Yeah, and when those add up, though, John, in a game where you're having trouble running the football, you're having trouble creating takeaways, you're having trouble stopping the run, this is where it comes back to bite you, and it comes back to haunt you. You can't make mistakes against a fundamentally sound team like the Vikings like that and expect there to be multiple opportunities throughout the course of the game that are going to come your way, going to be presented your way, that are going to enable you to make up for it. And when you look at the defensive side of the ball, you know, because I think we pretty much talked about all these missed opportunities on offense, what was the one thing you had to do? You had to force Kirk Cousins to throw the ball over 30 times when you play the Vikings, and you have to contain Dalvin Cook. And they weren't able to contain Dalvin Cook, and not just as a runner, John. When you talk about Dalvin Cook yesterday, you need to take into consideration what he did as a receiver. Okay, he had... He almost had two, over 200 total yards, right? In terms of total scrimmage yeah. yards, he was approaching that number. He had 132 on the ground. I think he had 60-something in, in the air. Receiving. If I'm not mistaken. He finished with, as a receiver, 86. Yeah, so over so yeah, 200. Over 200 scrimmage yards. So clearly, he ran wild. Then feeling on top of that, seven catches, 130 yards, two touchdowns. He had just over a buck 20 in the first half alone. And Kirk Cousins was extremely comfortable because the Giants never put him in a position where, number one, he had to play from behind which was what happened in the Vikings' two losses. Kirk Cousins and the Vikings had to play from behind. So therefore, he had to attempt more than 30 passes. So that's one thing that you wanted to put the Vikings in. You didn't do that. And by not stopping the run, the Vikings didn't face a lot of overwhelming third downs, John. You know, they were always within striking distance. And that made the game extremely comfortable for them. And then on top of that, the safety was probably the biggest shift of momentum that you're going to find in this game, regardless of what happened on offense and defense, because Jabril Peppers makes a sensational play. You couldn't have asked for better positioning, knocks the ball out of Dalvin Cook when it looked like he was going to run in for another touchdown, which really would have made this game lopsided. You get the ball at the one, and on the very next play, a breakdown on the offensive line. Anthony Barr cuts right through Zeitler as well as Jalapio, and the rest is history. And by the way, it wasn't just Zeitler. I mean, it wasn't just Barr coming up the middle. Harrison Smith came untouched around the edge, and on the right side, Ben Gideon beat Evan Ingram inside. So there were literally three guys in the backfield ready to meet John Hillman. He didn't have a chance on the play. Yeah, they were there by the time he got the handoff. I mean, what do you expect him to do under those circumstances? He didn't have a chance. Yeah. So that's the offense, folks. I mean, we could talk about the run game. It, It really didn't do too well. Uh, we talked about Jones' throws. A lot of people are really beating the drum on the offensive line. I don't think they played well, but I don't think it was an epic disaster either. Uh, Daniel Jones got pressured. I had a stat right here in my uh, game film notes uh, this morning. He got pressured on 17 of his dropbacks. We dropped back to pass, I think, around 38 times or so over the course of the game, if you include his sacks in those numbers. And he got pressured on 17 of those dropbacks, which ranked somewhere in the low 20s in terms of uh, pressure percentage in the league. So not where you want to be, but not awful either. He had opportunities to make throws. Um, Did the pressure get to him? Sure. But when you're dealing with a good pass rush, you're going to give up some pressures and some sacks. It's just going to happen. And I know a lot of people are pointing the finger at Nate Solder. That's fine. The pro football focus number shows he had given up one sack and two pressures. Now, he gave up a second sack, but that was taken off the board because of a penalty. It was declined. Correct. So, yes, if you throw that into the mix, did he play worse? Sure. Remmers gave up a couple sacks to Daniel Hunter, but I thought he was okay. And let's not forget the guys inside here too, Lance. And Carl Banks talked about this during the radio broadcast. There was no room for Daniel Jones to step up in the pocket in this game. And even, to a larger extent, run on some of these third down attempts. He only had one scramble for a first down because the Vikings were very disciplined. Not only did the edge rushers get around the pocket, the guys inside pushed the pocket back. So overall, the Vikings pass rush was, as advertised, excellent. And especially on some key third down plays, they got to Jones. And one other play I want to mention, because you brought this up too, when the Giants did get the ball in the red zone in that third quarter situation— and they got that reset on a first and five at the 10, Daniel Jones runs a bootleg and inexplicably holds the ball and lets Daniel Hunter sack him for 10 yards. So we talked about this before. One thing Daniel Jones has to clean up is sometimes he holds the ball too long, and that was one of the sacks where he did hold the ball a little bit too long. 
Yeah, there was also a third and eight later in the game where Daniel Jones took a sack and he lost four yards. So third and eight becomes fourth and 12. And then it was an incomplete pass to Sterling Shepard. Pat Shermer challenged that. He was looking for pass interference. And this was a drive which was after the one that we were talking about earlier when they had multiple red zone opportunities that ended with a turnover on down. So there was a critical sack. You can really go through the play-by-play, John, in the second half that either the Giants lost critical yardage or it ultimately stalled the drive. So yeah, learning how to throw away the football, living to see another down is a part of the maturation process for a young quarterback. And I think he's starting to realize that. And, you know, one of the other things I wanted to point out, because I wholeheartedly agree with you about the Vikings did a stellar job. And it seemed as if they had like a linebacker shadowing Daniel Jones, John, so that when he did think about running off the edge, there was somebody right up in his grill. So he did not have those running lanes that the Bucks and the Redskins allowed, which also is further proof as more and more film gets documented, John, of Daniel Jones, teams are going to pick up on, these are his tendencies, this is what we need to do to counter it. Now, Jones did make a couple tremendous throws over the course of the game, too, which is why, even though we struggled, he had some issues, had some deficiencies, he throws a pick at the end of the game, but again, you're down two scores, you're trying to force the ball, I'm not going to go nuts about Barr undercutting that route, it happens. That doesn't bother me that much. He made some really good throws, though, over the course of the game. Uh, His deep pass to Slayton was perfectly thrown ahead of Slayton, who put basically Xavier Rhodes in a spin cycle on a sluggo route. It was a great route. Jones hit him for that touchdown. Um, Later in the game, he had a third and 10 to Sterling Shepard, hit him on a slant in between the linebackers and safeties in a cover two, where Shepard in stride just had to reach his hands out like this, caught a pass, great throw. And then there was a third and 14, where he hit Darius Slayton with a missile on a 16-yard out for the first down. So there were still some really high-level throws mixed in there for Jones amongst some of the issues he had with the Vikings. And the Vikings defense even picked up on that because I went back and listened to some of the reaction. Everson Griffin, a very complimentary of Daniel Jones when they spoke to him in the locker room. Before he even started asking questions, he said, hey, you know, that rook is a tough guy. He stuck in there. He took some hits, and he made some impressive throws. There's a lot to like. Uh, even Mike Zimmer was also complimentary of Daniel Jones. So, you know, the teams around the league are starting to take notice uh, of what Daniel Jones is capable of doing. It's a matter of him now you know, becoming that consistent quarterback, learning from your mistakes and then not repeating those mistakes in future matchups. And but it's going to take time. Of course. It, it, there's a learning curve. There's going to be ups and downs. Listen, you go back to Eli Manning. John, oh, how many so times far. did we bring that up oh in 04 when yeah. he took over for Kurt Warner? It wasn't pretty. He's so far ahead of Eli where he was when he started. Yeah, I'm I mean, close. There's been a lot of ups and downs for uh, rookie quarterbacks. Uh, not everybody, it's smooth sailing from the get-go. So, you know, I understand a lot of people were excited about what happened in the Tampa Bay game, but I think a lot of that was also the land of the unknown. You know, the Bucks didn't really have much to go by because it was just preseason film. Now you're seeing more and more teams have a better idea, and Bill Belichick is going to be the next challenge, a really good Patriots defense that has yet to allow a passing touchdown on the season through five games. They've allowed just two rushing touchdowns, and we'll certainly get more into that matchup in the coming days. But Short week. Back-to-back games. Yeah, a quick turnaround, but back-to-back games, John, where he's going to go up against you know, the creme de la creme of defenses in the National Football League. And it's sometimes a bit of a rude awakening compared to maybe what you saw a little bit earlier in the season. Yeah, and Jones didn't handle the pressure as well as he did against Tampa. And if if you talk to some of the analytics guys, how a quarterback performs under pressure, and I don't mean pressure in terms of big games, Super Bowl, when defensive linemen or linebackers or defensive players are in your face. The literal definition of pressure. Yes, in the pocket, correct. (laughs) Not the mental (laughs) pressure part of it. Right, yeah. So against Tampa, he was 14 of 19 when he was pressured for 243 yards and a touchdown. Fantastic, right? Well, that's hard to sustain, which is why if you want to judge quarterback performance, you look at how he does in a clean pocket. That's something that's more sustainable week to week. It is more indicative of how good a quarterback is. So this week when he was under pressure, Jones was just 3 of 12 for 17 yards and a touchdown. And 17 dropbacks, five of those ended in sacks. Or four of those ended in sacks. One of those was a scramble where he ran for the first down. So he did not handle the pressure well. When he was protected, he played better. But when he faced pressure, he he struggled a little bit, which is, again, for a rookie quarterback, you get it. And the Vikings do a good job, especially on passing downs and third downs, bringing different pressure. Sometimes they brought just four. They mixed it up. They mix up their coverages. Something else we talked about last week. They're Look, they're a really good defense. And yeah. frankly... You saw some plays where Jones like hits Evan Ingram in the middle of the field. Looks like it's going to be a catch, and all of a sudden, here comes Harrison Smith. Uh, here comes Griffin, the other safety, and they're 
blowing them up and knocking the ball out. Why? Because the Vikings are good players, so you got to tip your cap to them too because their guys in the secondary, especially Harrison Smith, they made some really, really nice plays. And in fact, Smith almost had an interception yeah, on, on the sideline on where he, a deep he ball hustled display. over for that. Yeah, that, that was a hell of a play. Example. Yeah. What about Mike Hughes, by the way, diving for nearly an interception yeah. too and on he, the opposite sideline? And he almost picked off a deep pass to Shepard down the left sideline where, where Shepard's helmet got turned all sideways. That was almost intercepted too. Yeah. So the Vikings second, Mike Hughes was he a late first or early second round pick? I forget which one. Hughes was a first round pick he in was eighteen, a, late, and he got hurt first. towards yeah. ACL. So now he's just coming back, mm-hmm. and he's uh, assuming the role that they had hoped for last season. They got Pro Bowlers, John, at every single level of this defense. Yeah, they're good, and, and we didn't so. even talk about Eric Kendricks. He was all over the place. He played yeah. really well. So yeah, guys, they're good. Now I guess we kind of buried the lead. I probably should have led with this, but uh, the Giants' defense, man. Whew. And I, I wrote about this for Cover 3 today. You can go check it out on Giants.com. You can check out my film review as well, where I kind of go in-depth on all these numbers and pro football focus stuff and film stuff. But on Cover 3, what I wrote about today, Lance, is that until the Giants figure out their pass defense, we're going to have problems like this the whole year. And that's it right now. You need to figure this out. Because until that gets fixed, you're going to have trouble beating good teams with a good quarterback. In the first half, Lance, the first Half. Yeah. Kirk Cousins was 19 of 23 for 278 yards and a touchdown. Which means he set a season high, by the way, in just the first half alone. Because he was around 230 was the season high heading into the game. 233, yeah. 19 of... That's a 131.5 quarterback rating. Adam Thielen had 120 yards receiving in the first half. What? Yeah, I mean, the numbers don't lie. There's not much to add. You can't win that way. A comfortable... Passing game for the Minnesota Vikings. Guys were getting open. Kirk Cousins was hitting them in stride. They were taking advantage of some of the matchups. Uh, you had you know, Grant Haley was caught in some precarious spots where they looked to capitalize. DeAndre Baker. Uh, missed tackling is another thing, John, that we haven't hit on. You know How many times did Dalvin Cook either elude defenders or just wiggle out of defenders, bounce off defenders? There was one play where Dalvin Cook, he went off the left edge Jabril Peppers missed him. DeAndre Baker missed him. It took Marcus Golden Mm -hmm. hustling over to try to knock him out of play to finally stop the bleeding. That was a major issue. Yak yardage for the Minnesota Vikings. Kirk Cousins, he wasn't throwing the ball 50 yards down the field yesterday, John. He even admitted this in his postgame presser. He was putting the guys in a position where they can then get the yardage after the catch. So the Thielen grab, which I think was about, what, 41 yards, 44 yards, if memory serves me correct, mm-hmm. that was about a 10-yard pass, and then Thielen gained an additional 30 mm-hmm. because of the position that the football he had, and then he was in a spot where he knew that he could gain some additional yardage after that. Lance, we didn't even talk about this before the show, but you just led perfectly to some pro football focus numbers I pulled last night when I was writing my film review story. How about this? The Vikings yesterday had 37% of their pass attempts, 10 of 27, go for 15 or more yards. Highest percentage in the NFL last week. However, and this goes to your point, Kirk Cousins only attempted three passes the entire game that traveled 20 or more yards in the air. It was all yards after catch. That's a very telling statistic. The Giants, and here's another one. The Giants allowed an average per reception nine yards after the catch. Second highest number in the NFL. PFF had the Giants for 16 missed tackles. The most in the league this week. That'll come back to bite you. Yeah. You nailed all. All of that, 100%. Well, that's the three-headed monster of your calculations because you miss tackles, so they get additional yardage after the fact, and then it all piles up to manageable third downs, extra first downs, you continue to extend drives, you name it. All that could have gone wrong went wrong for the Giants in that regard. And here's the thing. A lot of people, and shockingly, people are overreacting to the loss on social media. Who who can believe it? (laughs) But Yeah, I know. It's not like if you listen to us do our shows and write last week that we would have told you the Vikings were a tough matchup, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> James Betcher stuck with the same strategy. Remember we talked last week how the Giants only blitzed five times against the Redskins, right? How many times they blitzed yesterday? Six times. They played a lot more zone, not as much man. The difference against the Redskins, 
their quarterback didn't make the throws that Kirk Cousins made, and the Giants tackled a lot better. Yeah, they just well, executed. Well, the tackling was a huge difference. Hundred yeah. percent. They just executed the game plan better. So Betcher used the same strategy that worked in the second half against the Bucks, the same strategy that worked last week against the Redskins, and he tried to do it against Minnesota, and it didn't work because the players didn't execute as well. And who knows? Maybe other teams now are making some adjustments based on you know what they're seeing on tape from the Giants. But this wasn't a change in strategy, folks. This is a strategy that has worked the past game and a half, but it didn't this week. Well, but let's be clear, John. It's execution on both fronts. It's the fact that the Giants executed better on defense against the Redskins, but, okay, it's also the fact that you went from playing a team that had no semblance of a run game. Now, part of that was because of what the Giants did on defense. I don't want to take anything away from them. Here's the other kicker. You went from playing a receiving core that was missing Terry McLaurin Mm -hmm. and missing Jordan Reed to now going to Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs, two 1,000-yard receivers. Okay, so that was a significant upgrade that you had to now adjust to, and then you add the missed tackles on top of that? That's very difficult to overcome. And throwing the fact that Redskins' offensive line was a mash unit and they had all their guys out. And Minnesota, yeah, Minnesota just got its right guard back, Josh Klein, who didn't play, by the way, against the Chicago Bears, which would explain why Kirk Cousins was sacked six times. But speaking of burying the leads, another aspect connected to the defense here, which we should have let off the program with, is the fact that we now have another game with Daniel Jones at quarterback and the defense not necessarily executing. So... Two zero one nine three nine four five one three. I'm anxious to hear the I explanations. Just, I just didn't see the motivation of Lance. whether or not the defense was motivated enough to play hard for Daniel Jones. Did we miss that for a week? Very anxious to hear that. Hashtag Giants chat. By the way, on Twitter, we're going to read plenty of reactions with respect to that narrative because don't worry, that is not going to go away anytime soon. Go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? Two zero one nine three nine four five. I'm okay. not speechless. I'm just I'm just enjoying the show. Okay, fair enough. Because uh, you taking your little victory laps. Oh, is it's just not really, a victory really, lap. It is not a victory. It's lap. a little bit of a it victory is not, lap. Do not interpret it as a victory <laughs> lap. It's. I just want an explanation. That's all. I just want an explanation. A uh, couple other nuggets. I want to talk about some of the individual performances. Uh, O'Shane Zimenez in this game. He started for Lorenzo Carter, who was out with a, with a neck injury. And we should point out to the Giants were just hamstrung a long linebacker. Yeah. I mean, they were down to. Uh, Nate Stupar, Josiah Taueffa, Stupar and Taueffa kind of split snaps in the second half. David and then Mayo. David Mayo was their Mike linebacker. And they did the best they could, but, you know, the offensive lineman got out on them on blocks sometimes. And I want to give the Vikings credit, too. A lot of people talked about how the, the Vikings were going to just run it and run it and run it and all day in this game, right? And they came out, first two plays were play-action passes. And I think that really put some question marks in the heads of some of the Giants defenders about whether or not they could commit so hard to the run because they were so effective on those play-action passes and getting those crossers going across the middle that then all of a sudden when the Vikings did start running the ball, they're like, oh, wait a second, is is Cousins going to roll out here? It was actually a play where they handed it to Cook. He runs left, and David Mayo is following Kirk Cousins on the bootleg while Cook's running the ball up the middle. So... That, I thought, was a really nice wrinkle in the game plan by Stefanski to keep the Giants honest. Six of their first ten passes were play-action passes, and I think that was by design. And I think when you have a team playing a lot of inexperienced linebackers, I think that's a good way to go. Um, but you, uh, yeah. real quick, John, sure. I mean, you do Please. that when you're effective in running the football, though. That was the other aspect. Well, heading in, you know they're good at running Correct. it. So, yeah. So they have to respect the run game, and by then being effective in the run game, it then continues to give you opportunities for the misdirection and the play action. And you're right, that opened up things immensely for the Minnesota Vikings, and I think that's another reason why off the crossing routes, guys like Adam Thielen, John, Bingo. untouched across the field because... To your point, the Giants' defense is going in one direction, thinking Kirk is running that way, and then all of a sudden the play is developing on the other end. So that really opened things up. 8 of 10 on play-action passes for Cousins, 131 yards and a touchdown, and 4 for 4 for 65 yards on screen passes, and that goes back to the Giants being unable to tackle on some of those screens. Now some individual performances, which I was trying to get to before, but then I distracted myself, which is amazing how that happens. Um <laughs> Dexter Lawrence had a sack and a half in this game. Now, one of them was called back because of a Janoris Jenkins hands-to-face penalty. The one that got called back to me was the most impressive one. He basically picked up 
Josh Klein and carried him into the backfield to get the sack. It was really he's he's really flash him inside pass rush ability here and. Right now, uh, that 17th overall pick looks like it was a right move. He's played well. O'Shane Zimenez started for Lorenzo Carter, which I started the state before. Uh, he did not play with a neck injury. He played 90%, almost 80% of the snaps, I think. He had 22 pass rushing snaps. PFF didn't give him one pressure. So I thought he was kind of quiet on the day. He had one tackle on a nice hustle play. I think it was a screen when he came from behind the play. Um, R.J. McIntosh got his first career sack. Marcus Golden beat Kyle Rudolph around the edge for a sack. Four and a half on the season now yep. for Golden. He's been their best pass rusher, which is not a surprise. We talked about that heading into the year. Jabril Peppers, I think, continues to look better and better. I think he just looks more comfortable. He's flying at the ball. He did miss a tackle. You mentioned on that one play from... Uh, that was Cooks. That was either Cook or Diggs. I forget which one uh, going towards the sideline for a first down. But he's running all over the place. He's making good plays. And then DeAndre Baker was just so up and down. He makes a nice tackle, gets called for unsportsmanlike conduct. That was huge. Uh, he misses a tackle uh, on a couple other plays. Then you have a couple plays in coverage where he plays the guys really well. He stopped a slant. He covered Diggs on that one flyer out on the left sideline really well. Stopped a deep pass. But then he gives up the touchdown to Thielen on a really nice pass from Cousins with some really high-level throws in this game, by the way. He played well, and he got his feet down the back of the end zone. So Baker's just got to smooth out some of the rough edges here. You see some of the coverage shows coming to the forefront, Lance. But there's still some little mistakes here that he has to iron out and get more consistent. Yeah, it's similar to Daniel Jones, John, like most rookies. You, know, you don't want to see the ups and downs, the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. You want to see an even line. And I think, you know, we're seeing some positive flashes. At the same time, we're seeing him resort back to some of his struggles. The Baker on sportsmanlike conduct penalty, and, and we could sit here and debate whether or not it was ticky-tacky. I know Jabril Peppers was defending him in the locker room, did not think that it was an outrageous performance by Baker after the fact and that it was just an official really putting him under the microscope but here's where five penalties for the Giants is not an overwhelming number John but I would argue they all came at the worst possible time Seemed that way, to right? help the Vikings extend drives so we talked about how the Vikings committed penalties to allow the Giants to extend drives and the Giants could not capitalize well on the flip side the Giants committed some penalties. Janoris Jenkins had a holding call on a third down. That gave the Vikings a free first down. And then the Baker one was on a second and 11. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about Minnesota maybe now facing a third and very long. And now it becomes an automatic first down because of the 15-yard gain. So, you know, those are the types of things where, yeah, they may be ticky-tacky, but if the official is going to call it, you got to be careful of whether or not you celebrate prematurely because all that's going to do is now give a luxury to the opposition, which you can't afford to hand out. All right, we went a little bit longer than I wanted to there, folks, but I thought it was a lot of important stuff we had to get in in regards to the game. I want to remind you, Big Blue Kickoff Live is brought to you by Coors Light. Enter in the ultimate VIP game day experience, courtesy of Coors Light. Text VIP to 90464 for more details. Dre in Atlanta will lead us off today on the show. Dre, what's going on? Hey, John. Hey, Lance. How's it going? What's up? Doing all right, Dre. Well, I'm not going to touch on on the defense. It is what it is. But what I what I would like to see from our offense is not only you know better execution on uh, on the coaching side, a little creativity. Now, oh, as much as I now. don't want as much as I don't want Daniel Jones to run, but there are a lot of times with during play action, he is wide open coming around. Um, I, I want to see more naked boots. You know. It, uh, Minnesota did a good job containing him in case he mm -hmm. ran, but we could have schemed him open on, on runs, especially at the goal line, even though, you know, um, I think if we had the pocket pushed over to the right, I mean, to the left side, and he came around the back side, because um, from looking at the, the film, even though it seemed like all the, all the uh, defenders converged on Hilleman and Jones was by himself. I think we just have to do a better job at, you know, utilizing, you know, Dan Jones' skill set, but not making it a habitual thing to as part of a scheme. But, you know, throw something in there. Just throw a little wrinkle in there to, to keep the defense honest. Just FYI, Jones ran 10 play-action passes in the game, and Cousins ran 10. So they basically ran the same number of play-action passes. Right, but I will, instead of passing it, I would like for him to keep it and run down the sideline. Well, but opposed to oh. yeah, but that ha that has to be available to you. Yeah, I don't think you want to run right. a lot of design runs for Daniel Jones here. I don't think that's the key to the Giants' victory. It might be the key to getting Daniel Jones hurt. I don't think it's a key to winning. Yeah. Right, but what I'm saying is that no, I don't want to. Like I said, he's not Cam Newton. He doesn't have Cam Newton's size. 
But what I'm saying is, as aggressive as Minnesota's defense is, that is a wrinkle that we could exploit. It can, it, you didn't have to continuously run it. But all you got to do is once just to get them thinking. Well, and I then, think they were time, thinking. Every time, well, but see, Dre, he, I think the Vikings were well-prepared for him to do that because, as we mentioned, you really had a linebacker shadowing him for the majority of the game, and there were times where he was rolling out, and he was thinking about running, and the linebacker or even sometimes the defensive lineman converged on him. Right in his grill. Yeah. He didn't have much flexibility. If you go back and you watch a lot of the plays. Now, if you want to run you want to run some read options in the run game, is that what you're thinking? Yes. All right, well, if you want to run a couple of those, I see where you're coming from on that. They didn't really run many read options over the course of the game. If you want to try that, I can see it. Remember, they only ran one of those in his first two games. I think the only true read option where he kept it was the touchdown against Tampa, if I remember correctly. So that's something they haven't done a lot of. I'm just, look, Drake, maybe you can call me a traditionalist if you want. I'm not Paul Dottino now, but... Well, I don't like putting oh, you pipe down over there. <laughs> I I don't like putting the football in the hands of my quarterback to take a pounding. I'm very leery of that. I understand your point. I'm not saying you're wrong, but I I'm just a couple times here or there maybe, but it can't be a prominent part of the game plan. Yeah, I, case right, in point, and that's, exactly, and that's exactly what I'm saying. I don't want it to be the prominent part of the game plan, but it's a wrinkle, you know. And you you can. You can kind of avoid injury if if your runs aren't up the middle, if it's geared towards the sideline, so he can run to safety. You know, it's it's a whether he gets four or five yards on it or three yards, it's still moving the ball forward. You know, and it still loosens up the defense. It, it may bring that safety in a little bit more, just to, you know, or that linebacker to, to open up the middle. Well, I was going to bring that up. Yeah, I was going to bring up the Mason Rudolph situation yesterday, and he's not necessarily a roaming mobile quarterback, and you know, he took a big hit from Earl Thomas. So you know, quarterbacks are dropping like flies. I I just don't think it's Thank worth. You, Dre taking a chance uh, more often than not with your quarterback. And, you know, Dre, the last caller, talked about, well, if you have the designed run towards the sideline, there's a lot of fast defensive players the last time I checked in the National Football League, John, and they could catch up with you relatively quickly and still get a hit on you before you run out of play. But look, if you want to run one or two read options in the red zone when you think you might be able to get a couple yards and score a touchdown, I get it. I, I, don't, I don't think it's an absurd suggestion. I could see it, but again, as, and this wasn't what Jay was suggesting, but you just have to be careful about doing it too much. You don't want to put your quarterback in danger. Well, but remember, another part of this is that I think some of us are overlooking is that becomes that much more effective, John, when you're running the ball well. That's a good point. Okay, and mm-hmm. the Giants didn't have consistency on the ground, especially after Wayne Goldman, unfortunately, got hurt with a concussion. So, you know, they had some decent runs with Hilleman and Penny towards the end of the game where they had, I think, back-to-back six-yard runs. If you take out Jones' eight-yard scramble in the first half, there were eight rushes for 24 yards. Well, I mean, who's that going to fool? You think Mike Zimmer and George Edwards, the defensive coordinator of the Vikings, are going to be overly concerned about being caught off guard when they know the Giants have effectively not run the football? That's a big part of strategy. It's great to have all of these tricks. If you're not going to fool anybody, what good is it? The Giants did run it 20 times. and Obviously, you have to pass it once you get down multiple scores in the second half. So they tried to be balanced. It just, just didn't work. They couldn't get the run game going, which against a good Vikings defensive front, I suppose is not... That big of a surprise. Let's go back to the phones at 201-939-4513. Kevin in New Jersey is up next. Hey, Kevin. Hi, how you guys doing today? What's up? All right, Kevin. No, I just want to bullet point. Before I bullet point on the Vikings defense, sure. I'm going to go ahead and state the obvious. What's that? And I'm talking to G Nation. I'm going to say don't be astounded by yesterday's loss. And I'm going to state the obvious, is which – the Giants clearly could have won this football game, and I'm going to tell you why. Pat Shermitt, he used to, I understand, offensive coordinate for the Minnesota Vikings, so I was focused in on that as we went into this game. Team with no Saquon Barkley, then again Wayne Goldman got hurt. Um, so I was focused on how he was going to switch things around, familiar with this group. So he did an excellent job, okay, Hiding uh, in the screens, uh, Daniel clearly missed Shep on two what could have been potentially two touchdown passes. Yep. And from DJ's experience, I, I have all confidence that getting ready for Bill Belichick this Thursday, he's going to flush that and get ready with his confidence and get right back out there to it. So I'm saying, G Nation, don't be so much astounded. Now, as I bullet point on the Vikings, okay, this group has been most of this group has been together for at least eight years. And I haven't seen the Vikings play in a while. And I'm sitting there telling myself, like, wow, 
these some of these guys are still on the team who who, who were with Favre and Percy Harvin. I'm like, oh man. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just like, I'm just like, they're they're an excellent group. So if I'm G Nation, don't be so astounded as we got a locker room that does not like to lose. And and with all confidence, I'm confident that they're going to get back out there this Thursday. As it's always interesting to see us play the Patriots. So what's your guys' take? No, look, you're right. And look, we we try to be honest with the fans going into these games. And a lot of times the fans don't like it. And, Kevin, you're right. Cut into this game last week. We sat there and we tried to tell people that the Vikings are a very difficult opponent. And this was a very difficult game. And if you expected them to march the ball up and down the field offensively, it wasn't going to happen. You're only going to get a handful, if that, you know, probably two or three opportunities over the game to make big players or score. And if you miss a couple of those opportunities, like Jones did to your point, you're going to have trouble scoring points. The Vikings are too good to give you multiple opportunities to put points on the board. And the right. Vikings made the plays when they had to in this game, and the Giants the didn't, 100%. Yeah. yeah, they don't give up a lot of explosive plays. So if you have an opportunity to get an explosive play or a touchdown down the field, right. you, you got to come through with it because they're not going to then gift wrap another opportunity down the road of the game, and that clearly was spelled out in this Yeah, contest. And, Kevin, you made a good point. There was a path to victory here. Now, even if they make those two plays, is it a guarantee the Giants win the game? No, but they're in position no, to try to win the game in the second half. It would have been a one-possession game more right. likely than yeah. not. That was pretty cool. And uh, one one thing I wanted to mention, too, was uh, Darius Slayton. Um, you know, yeah, I give credit to the Vikings secondary. They played our receivers very physical, very well. Um, Vikings did have a couple of personal fouls, but you got to come out there and if you get your hands on it, you know, catch the ball. Like I said, I, I think our guys are going to be ready for the Patriots. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate the call. It's certainly going to be uh, another difficult task. I I would not question this team's fight. I I think Pat Shermer's been very pleased with the fight, John, and he's echoed those sentiments, whether it be a win or a loss, because I think this group is young. So, you know, they're learning as they go, and I I think that they don't necessarily get caught up in one game because they understand that as you go through the ups and downs, there's going to be high notes, there's going to be low notes, and you got to digest it and move on quickly. So, yeah, I think this team is going to bounce back Thursday night. It's just going to be another very challenging defense that Daniel Jones and this offense is going to have to solve because New England is a really good secondary. This is a physically-minded team. Uh, They get after the quarterback, and it's another one of those teams. If you get opportunities, John, in the red zone against the Patriots, you have to take advantage of them because Tom Brady and company have looked really good on the offensive side of the ball, and they've looked really good on the defensive side of the ball. Nobody's thrown a passing touchdown against them. They have two touchdowns that they've allowed. It's been two rushing plays. Sims for the Redskins this past Sunday— and Josh Allen ran in for a touchdown for the Buffalo Bills. That's it. Yeah, I had retweeted um, Mike Tanier had put up a tweet earlier today, if I can find it. And I think I retweeted that on my feed, if I'm not mistaken. But I will try to bring it up here if I can find it. Um, about the Patriots' defense and, and some of the numbers they gave up this year. Here it is. Patriots opposing quarterbacks this year. Now, keep in mind, they haven't played the best teams. They played the Jets. They played the Dolphins. I get it. Okay, they did play Ben Roethlisberger in that mix too, by the way. Yeah. But the other guys, are they great? No. They played the Redskins this week. Okay, I get it. That's fine. That being said, opposing quarterbacks of the Patriots this year, passer rating of 44, no touchdowns, 11 interceptions, 54% completion rate, 5.4 yards per attempt. That's absurd. Yeah. Uh, You could make an argument. I know it's still early, but, I mean, this could go down as one of the best defenses that Belichick has coached and Brady's played with. That's how good this group has been. This goes back to early Patriots when Brady was kind of getting carried by the defense a little bit back in the day with the Ty Laws and the Teddy Bruschkis and the Mike Vrabels and the Lawyer Malloys and, you know, all those guys. Now, there's one team that was effective against the New England Patriots thus far, and that one team is the Buffalo Bills, which the Giants had trouble with putting points on the board, and it's no coincidence Buffalo's got one of the best defenses in the NFL. Yeah. So that performance against the Vikings yesterday where missed tackles were occurring, big plays were allowed, chunk yardage plays, you just can't give that up 
to uh, Tom Brady and company because Brady gets rid of the football very quickly. They have a plethora of different running backs that they're going to utilize. And, and receivers, for that yeah, matter. And Philip Dorsett, I know, was banged up yesterday. So, you know, when they lose out on a personnel in the wide receiving core, they tend to use a running back as a wide receiver. Here comes James White. So be cautious of that. And when you think about what Dalvin Cook did, that's why I'm bringing this up, John, is what Dalvin Cook did as a receiver it would not surprise me, New England looks at the giant struggles and says, let's get the running back out in the flat, let's dump it off, let's see if they can tackle in open space. Let me tell you, Lance, the way the Patriots use that short area, middle, intermediate, middle of the field, keep an eye on Ogletree and Tay Davis coming back this week. They're going to need them. Yeah, they're going to need They're going to need them. Well, because also, remember, the guys that played a lot of snaps, you know, they're trying to get over some of the bumps and bruises that they just suffered on Sunday. Not to say that anybody, you know, came out of the game in rough shape, but it's a very quick turnaround for anybody that played on Sunday, even if you're fully healthy coming out of the game. 201-939-4513. 201-939-4513. Let's go to Will in Houston on line three. He's up next. Hey, Will. Hey, guys. Appreciate you taking my call today. What's up? You got it, Will. Yeah, uh, so I'm one of those realist fans. I always always go into a game hoping and expecting that we're going to win, but I'm also able to think objectively about who it is we're playing as well, too, and what we have to offer. Um, so I'm not going to sit here and complain about what happened. Um, going into it, obviously, having the linebacking core that we had explains the missed tackles. It, it's difficult. I honestly think the defense played decent in the first half considering how long they were on the field for. I think Peppers played excellent. Well, I love the way that a lot of players are starting to develop as well, too. Real quick, though, Will, why do you think the defense was on the field so much in the first half? Uh, the offense wasn't able to get up the – wasn't able to – Wrong. Uh, Wrong. <laughs> I think there's another reason. I, I, I can explain why. Do you know when the first time the Vikings punted in this game was? It was in the second half. Uh, fourth quarter. Uh, so on the Vikings' first five drives, they had an 11-play drive for 62 yards, an 11-play drive for 103 yards, yeah, 103 yards, an 8-play drive for 50 yards, a 6-play drive for 85 yards, and a 9-play drive for 49 yards, all of which ended in scores except for the one, which was the Jabril Peppers strip fumble at the 2-yard line, which would have been a score if not for that play. Yeah. So the reason the defense was on the field the whole first half is because the defense couldn't get off the field the whole first half because they just couldn't get a damn stop when they needed one. Yeah, it was like the Tampa Bay first half all over again. Absolutely. That's the best parallel. So, yeah, I would. Look, I, 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 I agree with what you just said. One of the reasons why I was happy in part of how they played is because they weren't scoring touchdowns in the first half. They were holding them to field goals. So no, and, that and, and that's true. That is fair. There, so. Yeah, their red zone defense was actually very good. You're 100% right about that. Uh, agreed. And then, uh, again, moving from that, again, when you don't have a lot of help in the linebacking corner, you get a lot of missed tackles in the second half. But, you know, it, it, they, they weren't on the field as often in the, in the second half because the offense was able to sustain those long drives, which was good. Um, and then the loss of Wayne Gallman obviously hurts the team quite a bit as well, too, when yep. you have Hilleman and Penning. Um, as you're leading rushers and you're not running the ball effectively, it's going to hurt as well, too. But, well, and you also um, well, don't have a running back that is a receiving threat, too. That's where it hurt. Because remember, Goldman was a big part of the receiving game last week against the Redskins. So that has to allow the Vikings to account for that. And, you know, the other thing, and we'll let you continue, Will. I didn't mean to cut you off, but when, you know, we focus on the injuries to the linebacking core, and that certainly was a significant part of the storyline yesterday. But remember, there were also missed tackles on the part of the secondary, and they pretty much had everybody in play in the secondary. So I'm not saying that it wouldn't have helped if they would have had Ogletree and Tay Davis and some of these other guys, but the secondary needs to clean up some of the missed tackling too because that was a big piece of the pie. But go ahead. Will. Absolutely. No argument there. Again, I'm just being a realist. I'm not expecting our secondary to do things where I would be – I would be expecting our linebacking core to be better if we had better personnel that are in there that weren't injured. Um, move, moving on from that, though, because those are the things that I feel like you can't really control. You can't control the injuries at that standpoint. But the things that you can control, and I think that will happen with time. Again, we're a young team. We're starting a, a, a rookie quarterback. And obviously it's great and it's optimistic to be excited about his skill set. Um, but one of the things that um, I, I wanted to bring up specifically, and again, I don't want anyone to get the wrong impression by saying this because I am going to – harp on a little bit of an Eli Manning comparison here. One, one of the things that I think that was underrated and also underappreciated by this fan base was Eli's ability to read a defense and being instinctual after the play and then also identify what the defense was, make calls and checks, and also 
um, have the protection aligned the way that it needs to be to keep the pressure off of you. A lot of the, oh, our offensive line is terrible situation, I think comes down to a lack of getting the proper protection aligned pre-snap. Um, one of the things that I think could have been different in that, uh, in that safety, which was the turning point in the game, was identify what the defense is in prior to actually snapping the ball, and then maybe you can call a, a check there. And again, I don't know if that's a situation where Daniel Jones doesn't have the freedom to do that or if he's just not experienced to do that yet. Um, but then also moving on from there, again, some of the other situations where – and there was one really good point where he did that, and I believe he got Everson Griffith on, a, uh, on an encroachment um, or a defensive offsides, which was great. That was the only time he had a hard count the entire game, and it worked really well. So I think utilizing that more, uh, being able to identify what the defense is in, make your checks, your reads, your calls, and your protections pre-snap will allow him to be in a better situation to get the ball out quicker, uh, get into a better situation. And just so everyone doesn't think I'm just being subjective, I do have a couple of stats here. In the two games that Eli played, he was split 26 times, Daniel Jones 24. So he's actually blitzed more in two games than Daniel's been uh, blitzed in the three games. However, Eli was uh, hurried nine times versus 14 and only hit five times versus 13. So being able to identify the pressure and get themselves in the, the best possible alignment and package, um, I think is something that will come with time. I'm not saying yeah. it's not going to yeah, happen. Sure. But it's also one of the things where you have to accept that you have a rookie quarterback who can't do that yet. But that is a difference, I think, that – um, could improve in our offense with Daniel Jones, aside from the skill set difference. No, Will, I, and I think that's a real good point. Thanks for the call. And we don't know what the right calls are pre-snap, what he's calling, what he's not calling, what he can do, what he can do, what he can change into, what he can't. That's something that's so inside the game where we just don't know. And there's no way for us to know unless I'm wearing the headset with the offensive coaching yeah, staff during the, the game. Play. Yeah. So, yes, I agree. I, I can't tell you whether or not Daniel Jones is doing a great job of that or not. Could he have changed out of that play at the goal line? Maybe. Well, you know, one of our people tweeting here didn't like the the call from Coach Shermer with that running play in that situation. Danny D N Y G B K N. So, if you want to look at the coach on that, you can. To me, that's a lack of execution, not blocking the guys up front more than it is a play call. But again, that's something that is more inside than than I really have enough insight to give you. But I do think that is something people were underappreciated with with Eli Manning in terms of his ability to get into the right play and move into better plays. And again, Daniel could very well be doing a fantastic job of that too. I just don't know. Lance doesn't know. There's no way for us to know that. Uh, but yeah, I'm sure he'll get better at that as he goes along. There's no question about it. Um, but in terms of the blitz rate versus the number of pressures and snaps and all that stuff, we talked about it. Eli was really good about getting the ball out of his hand real fast. He did not hold the football, Lance. He got it. Of course, he was training condition from four years of being a pincushion back there, <laughs> but he knew how to get the ball out of there quick, right? Jones still sometimes can hold the ball a little bit longer than maybe he should, and that results in a couple more pressures, and same thing with mobile quarterbacks. If you have legs and you're trying to extend plays, you're going to hold the ball longer, and that's going to invite more pressure, more hurries, more sacks, more quarterback hits, just like we see with the Deshaun Watsons of the world and you know guys like that. Yeah, Deshaun Watson and Dak Prescott were two of the most sacked quarterbacks last year. And season. Russell Wilson. Yeah, and Russell Wilson's another guy in the conversation. So uh, that's a product of being a guy that leaves the pocket. You're going to expose yourself to more hits. Eli wasn't exposing himself with respect to that facet. And again, that's not a, a that's not a bad thing. If you no. guys coming at you, you want them to run and create stuff. But sometimes those guys will sometimes be so confident in their mobility that they will hold the ball longer. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's the give and take relationship that you have with a mobile quarterback. The good is extending plays, John, leading to positive, maybe explosive plays. Bingo. But the negative is holding on to the football a little too long, giving the defense an opportunity to come after you, and then you wind up taking a sack, which we saw a little bit with respect to Daniel Jones. As far as making the adjustments at the line of scrimmage, we can't tell anything, but I do think it's fair to say as he's exposed to different defensive alignments and personnel, he's absorbing more intellect, and that will only better suit him down the road. And here's another telling thing, which speaks volumes of what the caller just echoed. If you listen to what a lot of the players talked about as Daniel Jones was getting ready for his first start, or when the media has asked the players, you know, what does Eli do on the sideline now that he's the backup quarterback? The high praise is all about his intellect. And Wayne Goldman was even quoted as saying, I go to Eli even for running back questions because he knows everything inside and out about the offense. I didn't see that. Is that true? Yeah, That's Goldman even said that. Wow. So that, to me, I think has been well documented. But I always think it's interesting when the players are saying that, that he's now an extension of the coaching staff because 
he's been so experienced in making those adjustments throughout the course of his career. And by the way, Barkley said that too, that Eli was his best resource on the team yeah. in terms of learning how to be a pro and learning the offense. And again, everything that we've seen from Daniel tells me that he's going to be that guy too if he's not that guy already and we just don't know. I do know what Duke, under David Cutcliffe, he made his own calls at the line, called protections and stuff, which is one of the reasons the Giants liked him, thought he was so pro-ready, is that he had to do those pro things at the college level in Duke. Let's go to Scott in New Mexico. He's up next on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Hey, Scott. Hey, guys. How are you doing today? Hey, Scott. What's hey, up, Scott? Uh, I think uh, the callers as well as yourselves made some really valid points. But to be honest with you, I'm just really mad, and I'm just going to vent a little bit. That's okay, too. Go ahead. We're here for therapy. What's up? Uh, John, I think your point about the past defense is accurate. They're 28th in the league. But what's most disturbing, the statistic you read on completion per average, which was 9, it's actually 9.7. So that means that every time somebody throws a pass against the Giants, it's a first down. And I don't know if you know this. Wow, that's unbelievable. 24 passes have been completed against the Giants secondary for over 20 yards, yep. and seven have been completed over 40 yards. Yeah, yep. That's the worst in the NFL. It's worse than Miami. Uh, and I'm just fit to be tied because I've been complaining about the same thing since the beginning of the season. And when is the expiration date going to run out on these excuses as to when the secondary can actually start performing? Well, I don't think I we're making Grant it. Haley beaten again. Uh, he, it didn't affect us last week, but he was beaten again badly again. And I saw the play with DeAndre Baker against Thielen when he caught the touchdown. And instead of, and I think Charles Davis made the same comment, instead of sort of running with him, he sort of tried to tackle him yep. when the play was virtually over. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying to myself, when, how do you correct this? I'm not interested in saying they're bad or good, but what are the correctable elements so that this doesn't go on ad nauseum for the rest of the season? And I was wondering if you have a perspective on this. Uh, well, I think it's a really good question, Scott, and if we had the right answers, we'd be probably getting paid as, as coaches in the NFL. <laughs> right. No, I'm serious. I mean, look, look, uh, look, look Scott. My frustration I, level is through the roof because I keep watching these games, and I think there were and I want to put a little asterisk because I agree with you, if there's no Wayne Gallman, you don't have a, a receiving halfback or you don't have a guy that can get you some yardage, there might be an asterisk to why the Giants performed offensively. But defensively, there's no damn excuse at this point. And I'm just wondering, where are the correctable measures that James Betcher is supposed to be, that he's supposed to be recognized Well, for? and here's the thing, Scott, and I mentioned this too, the Giants have changed their strategy. So his defensive tactics have changed. The first two and a half games this year, he ran a lot more man-to-man, and he was probably one of the heaviest blitz defensive coordinators in the league. He would send pressure constantly and have the guys play man, and they get right. toasted. Since then, he's gone to very little blitzing and more of his own scheme. It worked well for a, a, you know, a game and a half, give or take, and then this week, defense got toasted. So he's trying to find what works to work to his players' strengths. But, uh, look, we knew going into the year you have a lot of young guys, right? It's going to take a guy like Baker. He's going to have some rough go of it the first half of the year. You would have liked to have more good than bad, and there's been too much bad. No one would argue that. But you hope he gets better as he gets more experience. And, you know, maybe at some point Julian Love proves he's good enough to get on the field, either as a slot corner or a safety. Well, I guess Corey Ballantyne, too, is another guy. Another guy. They're not, they're well, not, the coaches don't think the they're there yet. Yeah. At this point, because the Giants aren't out of this season. It's two and three. They're still in it. And I'm not a big believer in what's going to happen next year or the year after that, because I don't know what the Giants will look like next year or the year after that. An injury right. or something yeah. else could deflate them next year or the year after that. Well, nobody, nobody's telling you to now, look ahead, wins though. Wins and yeah. losses now. Yeah, of course. And, Scott, here's the thing. I guarantee James Betcher's sitting there slamming his head against the table trying to figure these things out and if he thought there are other guys in this roster that would be better options than what they're trying to do he'd go to them I mean he, he clearly isn't shy about playing young players look at all the snaps Dexter Lawrence is getting Oche Zimenez is getting DeAndre Baker is getting even, even Peppers to an extent he's only a third year guy so these guys are getting plenty of snaps that are young and if they think Love and Ballantyne are better than the guys that are out there, they're going to play them. They're not. They're not going to hold them back here. Yeah. Why would they? Considering to your point, Thank all you, the Scott. big we plays run. that were given up. And I mean, the other thing that I'll add to you know Scott's question is the fact that when you have missed tackles, which was a big issue that plagued the Giants yesterday, to me, you know, that's not necessarily John 
saying James Betcher needs to tweak his scheme. I mean, that's just the lack of execution. And I understand his frustration. I get where Scott's coming from. You're tired of seeing similar results. But sometimes I think you just need to understand players are in the right position or they can be in the right position. They just need to make the play, period. So it's not a matter of, well, the coordinator's got to go back to the drawing board and say, oh, well, this game plan didn't work. No, it's a matter of, if you have a corner in a position to bring a guy down, he's got to bring him down. If you have a safety in a position to bring a guy down, he's got to bring him down. And if that doesn't happen, that's how Dalvin Cook started to play bumper cars with the Giants defense and turns a five-yard run into a 20-yard gain. So I think a lot of what I personally witnessed yesterday, John, and this is just my own opinion, was not necessarily guys being lost or the miscommunications and some of the stuff that we had seen early in the season. It was a matter of you're in a position to make a play. You've got to be able to execute. And the lack of execution piled up allowed the Vikings to capitalize. Yeah, Carl Banks and I recorded a little podcast this afternoon, and it'll go up soon enough. And we spoke about how guys are in position to make plays. So if the guys are in position to make plays, that's not really on the coach. All he can do is put the guys in the right spot to make a play. If they're not making the play, it's not on the D.C. 201-939-4513. Lenin Columbia, Maryland's up next. Hey, Len. You, you there, guys? Yeah. Yes, What's happening, Len? Good for Scott. Be mad. You should be mad. We should be. Sure. We should be. We should be. Let me just speak to Scott's point. It's not my real topic, but it is very important. Um. Sometimes the assistant coaches, the position coaches, are more important than the coordinators. I brought this up. I brought this up two weeks ago. I started to look back. Those two defensive backfield coaches are professional coaches, but we lost the guy. We lost the guy in the off season, late in the off season. We ran a rumor. Yeah, he became the defensive the guy coordinator. Who went to of Cincinnati as the d- defensive coordinator. And then we started filling in. Who's going to be the defensive back? To, who's going to be the Who's going to be the backup to him? I'm a little worried about the development of these defensive backs. Sometimes the position coach, when you got a young team, when you got a novice team, the development of the player is more important than the darn scheme of things. And we got to make sure that we got the right assistant coaches to bring these kids along particularly in the defensive back. Well, Len, in, Len, in fairness, first of all, Lou Anarumo is the guy that you're referring to who did become the Bengals' defensive coordinator. The guy that replaced him, Everett Withers, has 32 years' worth of experience between the NFL and college. And he was a college coach, so he knows how to deal with young players. So, I I mean, I I understand. I think you bring up a really good point. I agree with you. The positional coaches are crucial. There's no doubt about it. 100%. They're working on the fundamentals. They're in the film room with their exact position group. No disagreement whatsoever. But I don't think the guy that replaced Lou Anarumo is Joe Schmo, who they just picked up off the street. He's developed a lot of talent over the course of three decades. Okay, my opinion. Let me move on to something that I wanted to talk about, but I just felt like I, I wanted to add to Scott's sure. uh, you know, feelings. And, again, I'm, I'm, I'm glad he's mad because it's, I think it's good to be mad <laughs> at this point. Um, you, you know, um, that, that call coming out of the end zone, the one where the safety was, um, uh, it's just so full of problems that it's hard to describe. I mean, you got a guy five, six yards, single back, five, six yards in the end zone, undrafted free agent on the roster for two weeks, you know? Opening day against Dallas, we got in the third and short, and we suddenly, Elijah Penny was going to be the guy. He was going to be the savior. But uh, yeah, if, you thought he was, if you thought he got messed up in the Dallas game, why don't you put him into the game instead of the undrafted free agent? Secondly, you, you know, I, I, I called on Wednesday and talked to David and, and Russ. And, uh, I mean, I'm not going to get into an argument with David Deal about blocking. Uh, <laughs> no, big I mean, mistake. Really. Yeah, but you know cost. what? If I never see Evan Ingram blocking in line again in his entire career, I'll be a happy man. He can't do it. He yeah, can't do it. True. He got blown up on that play. No, he did. No, no. He, yeah. he made a real bad block right. on that specific play, but he, he okay. has improved right. a lot. Now, let, me, let, me, let me say something. And, and you know my feelings about the center position, okay? I'm, I'm not going to get into all the background and so forth on why my feelings are what they are. The best thing I can say about Peel 
and I respect him. He's working hard, and he came back from a terrible injury. The best thing I can say about Pio at this, at, at this time, he's the best center on the team. Beyond that, I, please, let, let's, let's not even try to have a discussion about his efficiency. Also, you only need one guy to like you on the team. You, you only need one coach to like you. You know, I mean, and you're going to be the starting center. But, okay. Lance, I disagree with you on your conversation with, with Carl Banks about being in position. They were so out of position in the defensive backfield yesterday. Why do you think it was your well, to the I, catch? But I didn't, I, didn't say, I didn't say that guys were in position for every single play, but I do think that a number of the missed tackles were where a guy was in the vicinity to make a play and he didn't come through with it. As I mentioned, the, 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 play, the play that... Lance, they, were, they, they had some receptions yesterday. I, I mean, come on, these guys are running in space. I yeah, mean, and then there was also six, a play. Well, and there was I also mean, Len. Len, there was also a play as I referenced, and I said specifically where Dalvin Cook is running off the edge, and you have Peppers and Baker well within the vicinity of wrapping him up and making a tackle. So yes, you're right. You're frustrated in the result. That doesn't mean guys are not in position. And to Len, make a there were plenty of plays. Okay. There were well, plenty let, of. Let me Len, just say, oh, I don't think they. I don't think they were in position. Lance, I respect your opinion. I really That's do. That's fine. You can disagree. But those guys were running too free. In the backfield. I mean, they they were running free. But I, you know, I I understand where you're coming from with your with your point. And again, who am I to argue with, Carl Banks? I mean, you know, he must know, right? These guys are in position. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't really see them in position. One one last point. I'm, I'm sorry, John. Did I cut you off? No, did you want to say something? Finish up. It's yeah, fine. finish up. Okay. All right. Let me let me let me just make one more point. Um. You know, it's nice to be talking about this, you know, the development of the players and so forth after we would get beat like we did on Sunday. He, Daniel Jones has got to complete that first pass to Shepard, or the one where he overthrew him. Of course he does. He's got to come. Let's not sit there and say, but he also made a couple of really good throws. He's got to complete, and the one at the back of the end zone, he's got to complete those. I don't care if he's playing his third game or he's playing his 232nd. And we did that with the previous quarterback. I don't care. You complete those passes. <laughs> also, I question, also, I question the lack of leadership on this team. Now, from the coaching standpoint, I'm watching him. There's nothing more exciting to me than watching him come out of that tunnel, John. One, one o'clock on a Sunday, watching him come out of that tunnel. I, I really get a kick out of that. I got the binoculars up. I'm jumping up and down. My wife's <laughs> clapping. And who's leading them out? Who's leading them out yesterday? Where's the leadership on this team? Who's leading them out? B.J. Hill and Stupar. First two guys out of the, out of the tunnel. Somebody step up. Thank Come you, Len. On, players in All that right, locker Len. room. Somebody step up. Appreciate I, it. I, I think I, you're reading too much into that. But yeah, I wouldn't. I don't really think that means much of anything. Yeah, the order of players out of the yeah. tunnel is not something I that I would be concerned about. <laughs> yeah. I would not be concerned about that either. We talked about the misdirection, John. We talked about the screen passes that the Vikings ran. I mean, you got to give credit to the offense, yes. too. And look, Len was right. Look, there were guys on those play-action passes, on those deep crosses, running way too free. Absolutely. Yeah. And look, that's going to happen sometimes, and it happens more than it should with the secondary. No argument. 100% correct. But they had 16 missed tackles. Led the league this week. That's part of the equation, too. Of course. 201-939-4513. Let's go to David in Connecticut. He'll wrap us up today. Hey, David. Hi, John and Lance. Great to talk to you. Hey, good to talk hey, to you yeah. as well. What's up? I was wondering um, what your guys' thoughts were on the fact that we weren't able to get the ball to uh, Golden Tate uh, more often. Um, I see you got six targets, uh, three receptions for 13 yards, but uh, do you... Was were the Vikings doing something special to take him out of the game, or was it? You think it's more about Jones uh, just not being uh, having enough time to get familiar with him? Well, he didn't play all the snaps. He That's only played around sixty percent of the snaps, which is around what Slayton paid to. I think they're only one snap off of each other in terms of their snap count. So he didn't play all the snaps. He's his first game back. It's you know you're gonna work into it a little bit. I get it. That's fine. And frankly. I don't think it's that Jones was uncomfortable with him. He threw to him in that fourth preseason game against the Patriots. Actually connected with him on, on, on two big passes. So I don't think that was a factor. I, look, sometimes one guy just doesn't get a lot of touches. If we see, David, this being a pattern over a two, three, four game stretch, we can have a larger conversation. I'm just not going to take so much out of his first game back. 
Uh, were the Vikings double-teaming him and stuff like that? No, they weren't doing anything special in that way. But they are just a really good defense. So uh, I think that's kind of what yeah. you put it up to. Yeah, I was, I was just hoping, having read that um, his yak yardage is yeah. un, unbelievable, you know, I was hoping he'd get the ball more often or find a way to get the ball in his hands. I had one other question for you guys. Um, I've noticed this year, just not in Giants games, but all the games I've watched where the officials are calling a lot of uh, hands to the face to the offensive lineman. Is that a um, um, a thing of infinite emphasis this year, or is that something that just happens to be? Thank you, David. Uh, they point of emphasis on holding for sure. Uh, I haven't noticed that many illegal hands Neither to the face I, on the yeah. offensive line, but there's certainly a lot of holding penalties. Like even the one yesterday, the one they got on uh, Elf Line on the Vikings play. I didn't see much of a holding call on that. Uh, the Giants had a couple of those two over the course of the year where you're like, really, you guys are going to call that on the backside of a play? Uh, I'm not sure about that one either. But that was a point of emphasis is getting those holds on those outside zone runs uh, before the season started. And boy, officials have made those count. Yeah, there was an emphasis on holding. There's no doubt about that. Then they sort of took a step back because they realized that they were on pace to set all types of records after the first two weeks. Uh, I thought he was actually going to point to this whole uh, defensive offensive pass interference, which continues to play it's out. It's already where, 237. Yeah, we don't have time I know, to get into I that. Just, I think hopefully people will start to realize that it's going to take <laughs> more than a prayer to get one of those overturned. It'll okay? have to be the most obvious thing. In the, if the, first of all, if yeah. you want to take pass interference off... That's almost never going to happen. No, of course not. Yeah. To get it added on, it's still going to take an awful lot. Yeah. Lance, good stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live. The schedule's all messed up next week. Who's on tomorrow? Do you have any idea? Tomorrow, I believe, is Russ and Paul, if I'm correct. I that, don't think that has changed. That should actually stay yes. the same. I think you're right. With there the holiday go. later in the week, we have some shuffling. With the Thursday game, we have some shuffling. You'll next hear me on Friday with Paul Dottino, and Lance will be again on on. Thir Wednesday, Wednesday with, with Jeff. Jeff Eagles. Thank you. Big Blue Kickoff Live is brought to you by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience courtesy of Coors Light. Text VIP to 90464 for more details. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmel. Thanks for being with us on Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by Coors Light right here on Giants.com. We'll see you tomorrow at 1.30. Adios. Have a good one.